everyone. Welcome to GeoTrack. We have a very special episode today. We're interviewing Will Mazel, VP of People with Waffle House, who oversees their crisis response team and coordinates with teams in the field. We all know that Waffle House does an amazing job responding to disasters and emergency response. Will, thank you so much for taking time to come on GeoTrack today. Thanks, Al. We're glad to be with you. Well, explain a little bit about your job title. I, I know you're there in Atlanta, Georgia. Could you explain a little bit about your title and what you do with Waffle House? Sure. I don't, I'm not sure how many other companies have a VP of people, but that's me. Um, you know, we're Waffle House. We're pretty simple. I guess most other companies would call it human resources. We call it people department. I oversee several departments that, that help support the, the restaurant operations. So I oversee our recruiting, training, development, compensation. We also also oversee our marketing, PR, and purchasing departments as well. And, and those relationships that I have on, a, on in my quote-unquote day job help me out quite a bit when we have a, a storm response. It sounds like you're working a lot with people and doing a lot of relationship building, which I would imagine helps a lot when disasters come. Absolutely, it does. Very much. Yeah. Well, how long have you been in this position and how long have you been with Waffle House? Well, I've been with Waffle House for 32 years. I've been in this position. I've been dealing with the storms probably 10 to 15 years, and I've been probably VP of people since uh, 2002. Wow, that is a lot of experience. So we all know that Waffle House has become a very important organization involved in disaster recovery. Could you explain a little bit of the backstory of how Waffle House got so involved in helping people out in that way? Well, from 1955, when we were founded, we've been open 24-7, 365. And when you think about it, uh, that's, you know, the, the difficult thing typically is running the night shift. Not many people do that. And it was our commitment that the communities around the, the, where we served needed some kind of food service uh, overnight. And uh, so we've been committed to that. That just kind of uh, translates into uh, when there's emergencies and everything else is closed, not just on the night shift, but all day from in the storm response that we were going to be there for people. We were one of the founders, Tom Fortner, was really surprised at the very beginning of how many people were out that late at night <laughs> and were hungry. Sure. And uh, we've always felt like we serve our communities. Uh, it's a place that, that, they, that the community can go and be with each other. We've always had relationships between the customers, our employees. We have a lot of uh, regular customers. So there's a lot of strong relationships. We have customers that come in several times a, a day, several times a week, uh, and they know the people there. They really come, we ha I think we have great food, but we really have great people, and that's why they come back is to, to visit the server or the grill operator that they know real well. It's almost like a family. So, Will, it almost sounds like the disaster piece fits into a bigger picture of just kind of being there for the community when, when they need you, which could even be just on a normal Saturday night at 3 a.m. or something like that. You're exactly right. That's just kind of our approach is we're going to be open for the community, for the people we serve, and then also for our associates or our employees as well. Servers and grill operators need to work. They need the money. You know, they couldn't go two weeks without a paycheck. Uh, that would affect their lifestyle significantly. So we feel that when we get open, we allow them to earn a living and, and that all, and also our customers get to uh, 
have the, the, the food service that they, they desperately need as well and that relationship with our folks. I know you have a very large presence in the southeastern U.S. where unfortunately we have many hurricane and flood impacts. So what are some of the major challenges to opening stores back up when you're in a hurricane zone? Well, really, I always categorize it. There are three types of resources we need. We have to manage when we're in one of these uh, responses. And I classify them as people, power, and food. If you think about it, those are the three main resources. When, when I say power, I really mean utilities, but it sounds better when I say people, power, and food. Those, that's what we need. And so we look at it from those three silos, if you will. That we've got to have people. We've got to have employees there uh, to serve the community. We've got to have the management team there leading it. We've got to have to serve the customers because we know in a, in a hurricane response, there's going to be uh, some damage, there are going to be some power outages, people are going to need another place to eat because home's not a place where they can eat, and we may be out of power as well. So we've got to be prepared to uh, to to get power in some way, shape, or form to operate the restaurants, and then we also need food, and you think about, well, certainly we already have the food, but yes, we do, but we're, we also will need to make sure the food doesn't get spoiled if the power goes out, and we're the only thing open, we go through our food pretty fast. So a lot of our job is making sure that we keep the food coming in from our distributor. We probably have to get special deliveries uh, to do that. You mentioned power as one of those three critical elements. So how do you power stores if local electricity is out? Pre-season, you know, pre-hurricane season, what we do is a lot of, most of our stores in these hurricane zones have small generators and we get those out, crank them up, make sure they work. We're going to use those small generators to power the refrigerator and freezers to make sure that the food doesn't spoil. You know, we're you know, when in doubt, we throw it out. Uh, we don't want to have any any bad food, but we got to make sure that we we have the food available in case we lose power. We also, depending on how big the storm is, our construction crew they have a night job too, and it's called manning the uh, <laughs> making sure we have power in storms. They'll kind of stop building some restaurants just for a few days and they will manage this process. We will get a 70 kilowatt generator to run a restaurant. And depending on how big the storm is, we may reserve two generators or we may reserve eight, uh, depending on how big. You know, the, the good news about a hurricane is you see it coming for about a week. And that's one of the uh, one of the few nice things about a hurricane is we, it's not going to surprise you. They will manage that process of getting the generators reserved, and then when, when it comes time to use them, transport them down to the zone where we need them. And then it's more than just having generators. When you have the big generators like that, they have to have fuel. So and, and they they run for roughly 24 hours before they need refueling. So when we have a, a restaurant that loses power, we want to have it run on a big generator, we can get it hooked up, but we got to have electricians. And then we have to have electricians on call to help us get them hooked up. And when they get them hooked up, we got to have fuel. So then we got to have our own bladder, we have our own bladder trucks that will fuel the, uh, the generators and, and get the restaurant open. But then 24 hours later, we got to have uh, that, that bladder truck come back and fill it up. So sometimes we may even have our own tanker gas tanker parked somewhere nearby that we can have the bladder truck go and deliver the fuel from the gas tanker into all the different generators we have. 
Yeah, well, so I would imagine these bladder trucks and tankers are having to basically connect gas stations or fuel sources outside the impact zone with stores that are inside the impact zone. Is it a lot of kind of going back and forth and just connecting the, those resources? It is. It is. And typically we'll just try to get a tanker in there that can, that can just be parked. If we can do that, that's what we would like to do. Just gives us a little more flexibility. So we try to be selective of where's the, where do we think the power is going to be out the longest and the community is going to be hit the worst and make sure we spread them out so that every community gets at least one. Okay. Well, I'm curious now, what's the longest power outage you've seen at any Waffle House store? <laughs> I remember, I want to say it was in, down in Naples, we might've been out of power 15 days, I think. And Panama City was without power you know, a couple of years ago, about 10 to 14 days too. You, you probably have seen pictures of Panama City proper, not Panama City Beach, but Panama City after the hurricane went through there a couple of years ago. And it was just kind of a war zone when you go through there. And uh, it just takes a while for that infrastructure to get back in place. Yeah, you know, I was actually on the ground right before and after Michael there in Panama oh. City, and it was just torn up. I mean, it was uh, it was a really big impact on an urban area there. And, you know, so that brought up an interesting question. I still remember seeing Waffle Houses in the Panama City area, you know, post Hurricane Michael and just the, the infrastructure on everything throughout the whole community was hit pretty hard. In some of these areas I've seen, sometimes Waffle House will be the only uh, place serving food within a, a large area. It could be, you know, maybe 10 or 15 miles. Um, th do any stories stand out to you that, you know, of times where you were able to provide really critical food or supply resources and, and be really the only service like that for a big area? Uh, yes, it, it happens almost in every storm to a small degree, but I'd say that the one that affects me the most is probably Katrina. I was uh, involved, I was on the ground the day after Katrina. I wasn't running the support center. I was one of the folks that went to, went to the storm to help. And I think that's still, you know, Mississippi was like a war zone, uh, the Gulf Coast there. And uh, we didn't really have a whole lot of impact in New Orleans proper. We didn't have that many stores there. So the flood didn't really affect us as much uh, early on as did the, you know, there was so much devastation there in Gulfport and Biloxi and all that mar market there. And just seeing the customers were so grateful for us being open. It was, I think the word was, it was Home Depot, Lowe's and Waffle House with only three retail stores that were open. And so we were the only place to get a, to get a bite to eat. I, if I go back there today, you know, 15, 16 years later, people will still say something about Katrina. That affected that market uh, significantly. And they remember that we were one of the places that was open and how special it was. And so I think we get a, a great deal of, of value of, uh, or equity from, uh, from, from being open like that with our customers. They really appreciate that. They know we, we go way out of our way to do that. They see the operation. You know, it would be easy to say, you know, we're going to, we're just going to ride this thing out, kind of shut down and not expend any energy or money to, to get open. And uh, they appreciate what we do. And I can tell you, we spend a lot of resources, time, money, and energy doing this. Uh, it'd be easy not to. We don't really make a lot of money in these. I think people think, well, you're the only thing open. You probably make a lot of money. No, we spend every bit of it or more. <laughs> I do think it helps out 
in the long run for our business because people remember that we were there for them and will always be there for them. And that kind of, they, I think they, that gets recouped in the long run with our business and our relationship with our customers and the communities. Yeah. When you're in need and a service or a business is there to provide, you know, help to you in that moment. And you know that they're extending themselves to provide that service. I think it really does connect you with them. It's, it's really endearing, you know, in a way. So I, I could definitely see how uh, this really changes people's perspective long-term and, and really makes them connect. And I wanted to mention too, when we hear that Waffle House is the only thing open within five or 10 miles, I, something I learned quickly in hurricane disaster zones, you say, oh, we just have to go five miles. That could take you an hour or two because there's debris everywhere. The traffic lights are out, right? So it's stop and go traffic everywhere. So even just covering a couple miles, it's often a very time intensive. So if you're the only food available for several miles, it's really a big deal. Absolutely. Yeah, that's really interesting. You know, and I wanted to ask too, just as far as Waffle House's ability to show up so quickly, I've been in major hurricane zones where the day after impact, there's Waffle House team already opening up stores, serving the people, providing for the people. How do y'all respond so quickly? Do you set up staging areas just outside the impact zone? I mean, how do you make that quick response? Well, I, I would say the first thing is, is our culture. And that is everybody knows the expectations that when there's a storm, we're going to be showing up. Show up is a phrase we use in, in our culture every day. Our, our management team shows up in the restaurants where, where the action is, and that's just the way we do things. So we know when there's a storm, well, who's going to be showing up? We've already got the expectations set with our people. Our hourly associates know that, that when the storm is over, they're going, A, we want them to be safe first and foremost, but B, when the storm's over, uh, we want you to get back to work as soon as possible. There's money to be made for them, uh, but also they know that the management team is going to be there uh, to help them through the the crisis. You know, many of them may have some uh, some some issues or damage themselves in their their own house. We'll help them with get some of those things fixed as well. But they know they can get back and start making a living very quickly, and we're going to be there to support them. So the expectations that we set with our people. I think is the most important thing, but we also set those expectations with our vendors, our food distributor, U.S. Foods. They know we're going to be wanting to send more food in. The local deliveries for whether it be bread, produce, and other things that we need. They know that we're going to be needing uh, resupplied to be very quickly, maybe even daily, because of the volume we're going to have. But it's the commitment starts at the top, and our our CEO will be on the ground the next day if not in advance of the storm, and we'll be calling the shots along with some executive vice presidents who run restaurants. And we call them the generals. And, uh, but they show up for, at the front line and they call in me, they call me, I guess, for the strikes, you know, for, uh, hey, we need a truck of, of this kind of food. We need this, we need that, we need more people. And we'll get them transported there as soon as possible. Well, it sounds like a lot of precision planning um, goes into, you know, thought before the storm even hits so that you can respond so quickly there. There is. I would say precision. Uh, I would say we probably, we don't know what we're going to do <laughs> until it happens, but we've done it many times before. We kind of know how to be ready to be uh, nimble, I would say. Our management team may be the best, not just the industry, but the country at getting things done. And uh, that's really 
what's key for us. Sure. Well, you've mentioned people, power and food. Are there times where you have the food and power, but it's just hard to get your people in? I mean, we've seen sometimes storm debris just covers most of the roots. Um, are there creative ways that you can use to get your people in or have even people just stay for extended time at a store? How does that work out when, you know, obviously people and employees is one of the three critical pieces of staying, sure. staying going. How do you, how do you do that? Well, it can be difficult at times. I know Katrina was the one that I think of the most when people left the Gulf Coast and I wasn't sure if they were ever coming back. And, you know, the, the, the two to three or even six months after Katrina, most of the hotels were taken up with uh, insurance adjusters, contractors, and uh, first responders still there, you know. It was a lot of that. There weren't a lot of residents that were still there. There were some, but a good percentage of them just weren't there. And it was a struggle. And uh, so we've tried to give incentives to get management to, to move down there. Uh, we tried everything to, to get as many people hired as we could. Uh, it was difficult because um, the people that were there were able to work uh, for, I think FEMA was paying like 25 bucks an hour to go clean the beach. <laughs> it's kind of hard to compete against that. So that can be a struggle. And, and at times we have, for a week or two, had people who are willing to go live in a hotel for uh, two or three weeks and, and cook and serve, or even have management folks do that as well. So we, we will do that if we have to. We'll continue to do it. Well, as you share your story, I'm getting this picture that you need to be planned, but you also need to be flexible, right? Because it's like, okay, post-storm, how many of our employees will even be there if there is an evacuation? How many can get back, right? It, it seems like some of these questions cannot be answered before the storm, so you need some level of flexibility as well, it sounds like. Absolutely. We try to influence the as best we can on the front end. You know, we tell our folks, be, be safe first and foremost, but if the hurricane's going to hit uh, Biloxi, there's no need to get in a car and drive to Montana. You know, <laughs> you, you could probably drive uh, an hour or two to the west, that would be the safest thing to do, and then come back. If it's a flood, just get to high ground. You know, you really don't have to, to, to leave the state for some of this stuff, but we want our people to be safe, and then we set the expectation to get back. If they get back quick, that just means the response is going to be easier and be more effective. Well, I wanted to ask you in relation to hurricanes, are there some things that you set up before the hurricane season even starts? For example, like does Waffle House arrange contracts with the government or large organizations to provide food services if a large disaster does happen? And how much of that is determined before hurricane season and how much of that is really fluid during the event? Sure, sure. We do some preseason and off-season activity focused on the relationships. You mentioned that word, relationships. That is one of the keys, I think, for this. And you think about people, power, and food. We did it for all three. With our relationships with our people, we set what the expectations are. And for the power, yes, we will, our con construction guys and gals will talk to a few generator uh, providers, if you will, and set up, they, they have agreements. I don't know if they're contracts, in, in fact, I think this year maybe we have two big generators reserved full time for the for the whole summer, but we can always go back and get more. And they'll work out some deals. They'll also arrange for some electricians to be on call, if you will, whenever we have a storm. And our vendors know, and we have meetings with them, conference calls with them to remember what we do in a storm so they'll be prepared. 
Larry Sigler, who is our food safety expert. He has tremendous relationships with all the health departments wherever we operate, but especially in the states that get hit by hurricanes. Uh, they know him on a first name basis and they know what our deal is and what, what we will do and what our procedures. You know, we have a, a playbook of what, how to operate a restaurant if we're out of power or if we're out of water. You know, they want to make sure that we're serving food safely, but they know that we're on top of it and they don't really have to think about it because we've already told them on the front end, here's how we're going to do this. And, and that prevents a lot of, I guess, conflict with maybe the health department when the storm occurs. They kind of expect us to be open as opposed to, wait a minute, why are these guys open? I better go in here and see if they're doing anything right. Now, they may go in and do an inspection, but they have expectations that we're doing it properly because we've told them on the front end what we're going to do. We'll also talk to some of the emergency management folks, some of the first responders of the police, uh, state patrol. We, we don't necessarily set up catering events with them, but uh, in those first few days, we might do, you know, we might do a bunch of sausage and biscuits for the state patrol. We might do 500 of them at three in the morning because there's no place else for them to eat. And uh, you mentioned sometimes in the storms, it takes a long time to get five miles because of the debris. They'll close the roads down for safety. Well, it's hard for us to get in and get our restaurants prepared to be open if we can't get past the checkpoint. And it's kind of funny if we show up and if you're in a Waffle House uniform, you don't need a pass. You just show them your name tag and they'll let you on through because they want, they want you to go get a restaurant open because they're going to need a place to eat later on anyway. Do you have, do you ever get, um, you mentioned about like, you know, 3 a.m. Needing, needing sausage biscuits. Do you ever get like large requests, like maybe in the middle of the night, we're going to need a lot of food supplies or it, does that kind of thing happen sometimes where just um, you, you need a lot of food at one place at one time? Uh, that does happen, and we have to balance that because, you know, we really want to serve the community, and our restaurants, as you know, are not that big, so we we only have so much food in 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 the in the refrigerator, and if we did a big catering job, we don't want to use up all the food, and then we have nothing left over for the for the community to eat. We also might do a play call change at the restaurant and go to a a more limited menu that we can serve quicker. It's sort of like, you know, if you've been to Wild House, you know, you can get your eggs just any way you want it and your hash browns, how many different toppings and so forth. Well, the more you customize, the longer it takes to cook. And we're already are probably going to be short staffed given the volume we're doing. So the simpler we can make it for our people, the less stressful it is, the quicker they can serve. And we think, you know, if we limit the menu, we can serve a lot more people quicker. And that's really paramount to getting something you wanted. And so that that affords a few other challenges of some of our regular customers. But I think when we're in a when a storm like that, people understand, hey, right now we're just serving hamburgers and chicken sandwiches and hash browns. And that's really it because we can do it really, really fast with very few people. Yeah, well, another thing that came up, I'm just thinking back to Hurricane Michael. It seemed like depending on your cell phone service provider, some people had cell phone service the whole time. Other people were down for as much as a week. Um, is that ever an issue of just how do people communicate if cell phone towers are down? Um, yes. What are some lessons you've learned about that? Yes, well, that's um, it, it was an, uh, a little bit of an issue in Panama City. Really in Katrina, it was terrible. Um, all the cell phone towers were down. And, and everybody would just, you know, this is 2005, so most everybody had a cell phone. 
and we learned how to communicate and we, we that's when we start doing uh, meetings every night. We had every meeting every night at say six o'clock and we talked about what do we do, uh, what, what happened today, what are our challenges, what are we gonna do tomorrow? And everybody had a plan and then you'd go and then you'd come, you, you knew you had a rendezvous that night at six o'clock for another uh, meeting and that's how we did the communication. So we still will do that even if we have cell service, we'll, we will do those those kind of, that kind of meeting on a daily basis at night, kind of like the, the uh, how to go today. What are some of the characteristics you learn about a, a place over time? For example, are there certain areas that you know that's just very flood prone? Or this, this area over here, you just need a 35 mile an hour wind and they're going to lose power in this town. Are, are there characteristics like that that you develop for different areas over time? When you look at our footprint, we know where we have restaurants that are really close to the water. If you look at the Gulf Coast, like Mississippi, Alabama, I think it's Howie 90. Howie 90 is very close to the water and we have restaurants and a lot of retail shops besides us on Howie 90. So when Katrina hit, there were waves hitting the Waffle Houses and we lost 10 Waffle Houses to the water. On the East Coast, we know we're not going to have as much flooding from a storm like that as we are on the Gulf Coast. Uh, we may have some issues, of course. And yes, there's, you know, I, we know if something's getting near Tallahassee, Tallahassee just seems to have power issues. Uh, Richmond, Virginia is another one. You know, it's kind of funny when we have a storm that's about to hit Virginia, we think, well, Norfolk's going to get hit hard. And it turns out Richmond tends to be the, our problem. Uh, from a power standpoint, I think it's because all the power is above ground and the trees fall. But but we know that, and we the local operators will know which which restaurants are going to become an island, or are going to get cut off, and uh, so forth. Like the ones who are on the beaches, if there's an an, an island, you, you know, if that's probably going to get shut down by the authorities, and they're going to cut power and cut gas to the island. Uh, they they all know those in, in advance. Probably have to evacuate those quicker than others. Sure, that makes sense. I've driven quite a bit through Tallahassee along the I-10 corridor there, and what always stands out to me are the really tall pine trees. I wonder if that has something to do with it as well, right? Like just from a lot of tree falls and places like that. Absolutely, yeah, I'm sure it does. Well, what are the main types of disasters to which Waffle House responds, and what percentage of that is hurricanes, and what percentage of that could be even be like winter storms? I think there's, there's probably four basic storms that we deal with, and it's hurricanes, ice storms, tornadoes, and floods. And I would say hurricanes for us, they probably make up 75, 80% of our response. Uh, since we're, you look at our footprint and it's the Southeast is where a lot of a lot of our storms are. So the ice storm is not a big deal because we don't have a lot of snow. Uh, we do have restaurants in Indiana and Ohio and Pennsylvania and it snows up there all the time. And it's not a big deal because those states know how to deal with it. You know, when it snows in Atlanta, everybody loses the brain. They don't know what to do. Uh, we also don't have all the equipment to, to, to treat the roads as, as much as those northern cities too. And since we have such a concentration in the south, when it does ice up in the south, it's a big problem. So Atlanta can be a problem. Dallas can be a problem. It was an unbelievable ice storm this past February. I guess it's the storm Uri in Houston and Dallas and who'd have thought and I know they didn't think of that either, but we sure didn't. Quite frankly, I think the ice storms are worse. They're, in, in many ways, they're worse because when the roads freeze, then nobody can get anywhere. 
Uh, we can't, I think of our resources, we can't get people to where they need to be. We can't get the food to get to where they need to be. And then when the, when the, it ices up, you know, the trees fall, the power lines go down. So we lose all three and it really is constricting on getting back up and running. So fortunately we don't have as many of those. And like I say, when it snows in Indianapolis, it's like no big deal. It snows in Atlanta or Birmingham and it's, you know, terrible. Tornadoes are, Tornadoes can be bad, but they're surgical. You know, we can be 50 yards from a place that got flattened by a tornado and be just fine. Uh, but they're really bad when they do hit. But it typically doesn't cripple the city. I know Alabama was probably the worst one we've I've ever experienced for Tuscaloosa. And several places in Alabama had um, uh, tornadoes that affected. And then floods as well. Like our, the storm that hit Houston three or four years ago, really wasn't a bad hurricane it was really just 40 inches of rain and it, and it and it shut everything down because the roads are all flooded everything was flooded but mostly it's hurricanes what we deal with i would say that's at least three-fourths of it and they're probably the worst but ice storms i'll tell you are the worst when they do hit they just don't hit very often for us thank goodness yeah and well you mentioned previously too a lot of times when a hurricane's out there we're watching this track it on satellite for maybe a week or more right coming in through the caribbean uh, we have a lot of lead time it seems with these ice storms it, it, we have less notice and there's a lot of question marks about will this set up just right how much ice where there'll be it seems a little less predictable in some ways uh, yes and so it's it's harder to be prepared for the uh the the tornadoes, obviously, in the ice storms, you know, maybe we'll, we'll get a, a day or two notice, but you never really know, is it really going to stick? Down here in, in the south, there's always a fine line between, oh, it's just snow, it's not a big deal, or if it becomes ice, then it's a big deal for the roads. And, and it, the experts get it wrong uh, quite often, and, and so, yeah, you just have to be nimble. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, could you speak a little bit about the geographic size of these hurricane impact zones for people that don't live along the Gulf Coast? They may have trouble imagining, you know, how far you're driving and seeing blue tarps on roofs and trees down. I mean, just a scale of that. Do you have any insights onto that? Sure. I mean, I know typically when we have a hurricane and we unfortunately we had a lot of them last year <clears throat> that hit Louisiana and, you know, it's going to, when, when the eye of the storm hits Louisiana, as you say, it hits New Orleans, it's going to affect Houston all the way to Mobile, maybe even Panama City. It's that wide, it's that big, typically, uh, to some shape or form. Now, I would say devastating damage is probably going to be with uh, 30 miles of the center, you know, is where the, the real issues are going to be. But you, when, this, when the hurricane's coming in, you know, they have these bands. And a lot of times there are tornadoes associated with the storm. And they're typically out, they could be out 150, 150 miles. That's just kind of, it's sort of a luck thing of where they, you know, where, where they get spawned out and, and have impact there. And then we've had some, I think it was Matthew that started in Florida and was like the worst case scenario for us where it just stayed off the coast or in the coast and it hit the peninsula of Florida Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, Virginia. It, would, it took about a week to go from Miami to Norfolk and it just may cause damage all along the way. That was probably the worst case scenario. You'd rather just have a quick strike, go inland and, and, and have that hurricane die out. That one just kept going and going and going. It was like the Energizer Buddy.
So for those hurricanes that are riding up along the coast, I'd imagine in both space and time, right, this becomes like geographically a huge event. And then just something that you're dealing with new impacts probably for several days. Right, right. And it really, it really hinders our ability to respond because what we typically do is if, if there's a hurricane hit in, say, Panama City, well, we can send folks from, from the peninsula of Florida, we can send them from Texas and all the other neighboring places to help. But if we have a, a storm that goes all the way from Florida, Virginia, we kind of, there's not many other places left for people to come and help. We have to go to Texas and the north to, to bring people in, uh, or maybe even Mississippi to, to go help the east coast. But uh, it, it, it kind of, wouldn't I feel like we're, we're fighting the fight with one hand behind, tied behind my back. Well, Waffle House has become such an integral part of disaster recovery that FEMA's actually created a Waffle House Index. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Craig Fugate came up with that term. I believe it was in one of the Florida hurricanes when uh, FEMA is always coming to the rescue, you know. They, they set up these meals called the MRA, MRE meals, the, the military meals. I don't think they're the greatest in the world, but when you have nothing else, they're pretty good. And they were setting up and they looked across the street and they saw a Waffle House that was open running on a generator and he kind of thought to himself, hey, this doesn't make sense. Why are we setting up meals for free over here when they've got a Waffle House open right across the street? We need to go where the Waffle House isn't open and set up our, our uh, meal facility. And so that's when he kind of dubbed it to, okay, if you, for his people, if you're in, a, in a, the wake of a storm and the Waffle Houses are open, that's green, keep driving. And then when you find where the Waffle Houses are on a generator, that's yellow, keep driving. Go until you find the Waffle Houses are closed because of the storm and are not open. And that's where we need to set up our meal facility. And so he came up with that, that green, yellow, and red, I, I guess, system for them. And, and I guess he, he told a few people in the, uh, in the news or the media about it. He kind of took off. And so every year it comes back as the, the Waffle House Index. And uh, he even testified in Congress uh, and used that as a, um, as a story, which got some chuckles along the way, and it's just kind of stuck. And really, what I believe FEMA was doing, and I know they were, is especially in the wake of Katrina and some of the big storms, they want the public, the private sector, excuse me, to get back up and running as soon as possible. And he sort of used us as an example of, here's what we want the private businesses to do, is get back up and running and use generators if you have to, uh, to and instead of waiting for the, the, the government to come be the the cavalry and save everybody we can't possibly do that we need to go where it's really bad and where it's just not quite so bad maybe the private sector can get back to normalcy quicker and better without the help of the government well, you have a ton of experience here, you know, dealing with disasters. Uh, what really impressed me on our conversation today is the foresight you need to have to plan for this ahead of time, but then also the flexibility to respond because, as we said, every storm is different. If you had to really bring it down to one or two bullet points, what are the biggest lessons that you've learned about disaster preparedness? That's really the last question I want to ask you here today. If you really had to boil it down, what are the one or two big lessons you could share with our listeners? I think number one is relationships, if you want a word, but then you could you could expand that to be relationships with our employees, our management team, the vendors, the health departments, the local authorities, 
and uh, you, you need to be working with them on the front end, work with them on during the storm, but then also on the back end. Uh, it's easy to, once the storm's over, to say, well, I guess we're done. But we, we like to give a lot of thank yous to those folks as well. We like to remember and thank them. Uh, we have, for people who go and help out in other markets, we have bonuses that they can, that we that can basically thank you money for going and helping. Uh, we, we actually will design hurricane commemorative coins and everybody wants a coin. If I can go help out the storm, I'll get the coin, right? As a, as a memento that I was there and it helped. So we want to make sure and thank the folks that helped us get through this. And it's our vendors as well. We will, we will maybe we could take them out to dinner or something if it, they really went out of their way or something like that. So we just can't take those relationships for granted. We got to do it on the front end. They're there for us during the storm, but then on the back end, we got to make sure to say thank you. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, well, really two main words I picked up from our podcast today, the first one being relationships. I see how you've really fostered that within your own teams, also within the community, with emergency responders, the police, uh, public health. It seems like you do a very good job with that. And the second word that really comes to mind as we've talked today is intentionality. And I want our listeners to know when you're driving through a disaster zone and you see that Waffle House open, it didn't just happen. These were intentional decisions and people that, that made it made a series of good choices so that that they could really mobilize these resources and be there to serve the community. Well, thank you so much for taking time to be in GeoTrek. I really appreciated your insights. I know I learned a lot and I know our listeners are going to love this episode. Well, thanks, Al. It was a pleasure to be with you today. Everyone, we were speaking with Will Mazel, VP of People with Waffle House, who oversees the crisis response team and coordinates with the teams in the field. 